Hi there, and welcome back to Unknown Friends, my weekly book review podcast. I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson, and you have tuned in to episode 17 today. Quick reminder before we really get started, if you enjoy listening to my podcast, it would be super helpful to me if you could rate it, and if you have about maybe 30 seconds more if you could leave a review on the Apple Podcasts app. This just helps boost my episodes and spread the word to let other people know whether or why you think my book reviews are worth listening to. At least for people like me, reviews are one of the very first things I check when I'm looking into a new product or service or something, and they can greatly affect my decision about what I try or don't try. So just please, if you have a moment and you like my podcast, I'd so appreciate it if you could leave a quick review. Thank you so much. Now let's get to this week's book. As promised, our subject today is an early novel by the late Victorian author Henry James, a novel titled Roderick Hudson. It's um, a little random why I chose to read this book. I have expressed in previous episodes my great love for James's novel, The Portrait of a Lady. In fact, you're probably already sick of me bringing up what a great book I think it is. But um, it was the only novel by Henry James I had ever read, and I think so highly of it that for a while I've been wanting to try out some of his other works. So several weeks ago, I was reading up on his various novels, trying to decide which one to try, and... Basically, I guess three things brought me to the choice of reading Roderick Hudson. Number one, it was available as an audiobook. That is always a plus for me because I do a lot of my reading through audiobooks. Second, I thought its plot summary just sounded more interesting than the others I was looking into, um, and possibly less depressing than some of James's novels can be. And then lastly, I read up on Henry James's literary career and learned some interesting things about changes to his writing throughout his lifetime. As a novelist in the second half of the 19th century, his works bridge a fairly significant shift in literature, um, essentially from the classic Victorian novel to the experimental modern novel of the 20th century. And so his earlier works are a bit closer to the Victorian tradition, whereas his later works uh, portend various contemporary styles like uh, stream of consciousness narration and um, ambiguous sort of impressionistic characterization. Um, anyway, that was that was a lot of big words. Sorry. Point being. I got the idea that I would probably enjoy his earlier works a little bit more than his later works. And so for all those reasons, I decided to try this very early work of James's, Roderick Hudson. Before we get into the novel, though, let me give you a quick portrait of the writer himself. Henry James was an American author, born in 1843 in New York, he had four siblings, and um, a couple of his brothers served in the Civil War, though Henry didn't, due to some kind of injury, a apparently a back injury he had received in his late teens. As a child, he and his family traveled quite a lot, um, especially throughout Europe, 
uh, France and England and Switzerland. He became fluent in French at a young age, and one of his favorite novelists for the duration of his life was the French writer Honoré de Balzac, who, if you are a diehard Unknown Friends listener, you might know, was the man who once wrote the statement, reading brings us unknown friends, which is the sentence that inspired the title of my podcast. So that was Honoré de Balzac, one of the major influences on Henry James's novel writing. So the James family traveled all over the place, uh, periodically returning to the States, and this in some ways became characteristic of Henry James's whole life. Eventually, as an adult, he actually left the U.S. permanently, aside from infrequent visits, and he made his home abroad traveling around Europe and spending a lot of time in the United Kingdom. Um, And ultimately, in 1915, just one year before he died, he became a British citizen. Now, Henry James never married, and his romantic life has been the subject of massive debate. Uh, People have taken his letters and even his novels and interpreted them from every angle and made all sorts of arguments about who he might or might not have been in love with or in relationships with, but the long and short of it is we don't know. Um, He was a fairly reserved person, so it's probably impossible for us over a century later to ever know for certain uh, the more private details of his life. So I try to stay away from theories. If you research Henry James, you'll find all sorts of conjectures about him, but personally, I prefer to just read what he wrote and focus on the ideas he seems to want to communicate in his stories. As far as his writing career goes, his first piece of published work was a review of a stage performance in 1863, so when he was about 20, and a year later, he anonymously published his first short story, titled A Tragedy of Error. Throughout his 20s, he wrote nonfiction and fiction pieces for a couple of magazines, and eventually he published his very first attempt at a novel, Serially, in 1871. We've talked about serial publication here um, a couple of times before, as it was quite common in the 1800s. Dickens, Gaskell, Trollope, and many others often published their works in magazines in weekly or monthly installments, and so did Henry James. And from the time he first started publishing, he made his whole career out of writing. He had some successes and some failures, as most writers do. Um, He faced both criticism and praise from his contemporary critics, and he gets both from modern critics as well. There is an interesting development in his writing, like I already mentioned, as he ages. And so while his earlier works tend to be written in a simpler, more direct and concise style, in his later books, his writing style got extremely complicated, even diffuse at times, with sentences and paragraphs that wander on for pages even. So while I've not read any of those later works, I've heard that you can get kind of lost in them. Interestingly, his early stories are noticeably influenced by the works of Nathaniel Hawthorne, 
And then later, uh, the writer Emile Zola and George Eliot, among others, become stronger influences on his writing. Anyway, over the course of his life, he wrote 22 novels, hundreds of short stories, about a dozen plays, though his plays were some of his least successful work, uh, and also a great deal of nonfiction. He wrote travel books, two autobiographies, I think, and lots and lots of essays and reviews. He was really a, a prominent figure in the literary criticism of the time. All right, that is that is probably more than enough about the life of Henry James. Like I said, my priority is to read books themselves and dig out their meaning rather than theorize too much about an author's life. So, without further ado, let's dig into James's novel, Roderick Hudson. Although he had published one novel previously, he apparently did not like it or something because he identifies Roderick Hudson as his first novel. It was published serially in 1875, when he was in his early 30s. The title character, Roderick, is the subject of the book, but in my opinion, not the hero. The hero is Roland Mallet, Roderick's friend and benefactor. So while the book isn't in first-person point of view, Roland, more than any other character, is the person through whom we experience the story. We hear his thoughts and see other characters through his eyes. And Roderick Hudson is the character we're chiefly watching. So the novel is a type of Bildungsroman, which I might not be pronouncing quite right, but it's a German term essentially meaning a coming-of-age novel, a novel focused on the growth of one main character into adulthood. So uh, David Copperfield and Great Expectations, both by Dickens, are, are each famous examples of a coming-of-age novel. Um, I would identify Never Let Me Go from way back in episode five, I think, as one as well. It's a fairly common type of novel. Roderick Hudson is a young law student who does not enjoy law, but has exceptional artistic talent. He's an amateur sculptor. Well, Roland Mallet, our point of view character, is a wealthy art lover, although he's not an artist himself, and he discovers Roderick at the beginning of the novel. He sees a statue Roderick sculpted and is absolutely amazed at the talent he can perceive in this work of art. So he meets Roderick, meets his family, and ultimately offers to take Roderick abroad to Italy for a couple of years and finance his artistic education, essentially, in Rome. He wants Roderick to study and practice art in the place where he can learn from the greats. So Roderick is thrilled, of course, and with a little convincing, his family agrees to let him go, with Roland taking full responsibility for providing for Roderick and overseeing his work. Before Roland and Roderick actually leave for Europe, though, Roland starts to get to know a distant cousin of Roderick's, a Miss Mary Garland, who is staying with Roderick's mother. And against all odds, Roland finds himself quite interested in Miss Garland. She is somewhat reserved and even plain, but she's thoroughly sincere and gentle and thoughtful. 
and despite himself, Roland finds himself attracted to her. Well, he is pretty reserved himself, and they haven't known each other long by the time he and Roderick embark for Italy, so he says nothing yet to Miss Garland of his interest in her, and he and Roderick set out. Now, Roland learns something on the voyage pertaining to Miss Garland, which I won't reveal, but uh, it changes... Well, not really his opinion of her, but the way he thinks about her in relation to himself. Be that as it may, the two men reach Italy. Roderick begins his study of sculpture. He creates a couple of pieces over time, which are highly praised by the artists and critics of the day. Everyone just declares that Roderick is going to be a master sculptor. He's already, you know, an artistic genius. So Roland's admiration of his work was certainly well-founded. Well, I I can't go too much further into the plot without starting to spoil the story for you. So suffice it to say generally that over time, things take a downward turn. Roderick becomes uh, restless and drawn into the world and he and Roland eventually encounter a beautiful young woman named Christina Light, who is difficult for either of them to fully understand. She's she's an interesting character. And long story short, as he watches Roderick attempt to navigate the world of art, Roland is faced with decision after decision about how to best guide this uh, sometimes willful, sometimes lazy and yet still gifted young man whom he has taken responsibility for, but whom he can't control. It's not an easy position for Roland, and he cares, of course, not only for Roderick, but also for Roderick's family and friends and the many people his actions affect. And all in all, I think Roland is a pretty admirable character in how he deals with Roderick. I think if he leans one way too far, it's believing or hoping the best about people when they really don't necessarily deserve it. And sometimes I'm not sure that's the wisest approach to take. And yet it is still, I think, commendable that Roland tries to think the best of people and bring out the best in them, especially when he's sacrificing his own wishes in order to do that, which happens quite often. And so this is a big reason why I think Roland is the true hero of this novel, despite the book being named after Roderick. Now, let me just go on a slight tangent. I can't reveal which character in this story I'm referring to, or that would kind of spoil some things, but I just have to complain that there's one character who I like for the most part, but they frustrate me because they are blindly in love with another character who is really lame. Like, not just a mediocre person, but a, a hard-hearted, narcissistic person. I don't know if this happens in real life, but it happens sometimes in books, and it is so exasperating. I'm just always disgusted when people in stories who seem to be upright and generous and hardworking and have a, a solid sense of morality fall in love with obviously shallow or selfish people. It's just, like, really? You seem to be 
noble and wise in a lot of ways, and yet you want to marry this loser? It just annoys me. So I'm talking about one character not to be named in Henry James's novel, of course, but I'm also looking at you, Edmund Bertram from Mansfield Park, and uh, who else? Um, oh, you, Elizabeth from Frankenstein. You deserve someone so much better than Victor. Oh, anyway, there, sorry, there's my rant for the week. Exceptional fictional characters falling in love with shameless egotists. I don't get it. I seem to have gotten sidetracked. Where was I? Oh, yes, I was about to move on to themes. Let's talk about the book's themes. Okay, actually, I'm not going to get to all of the book's themes because there's no time, and some of them aren't easy to talk about without giving away how the story develops and ends. But the main thing I want to address is the question of the will, which Henry James ties into the issue of duty as well. He's interested in how weak or strong a person's will can be, what it's subject to, what guides it. And Roderick and Roland present two very different answers to this issue. There's a couple of fascinating conversations in the novel between Roderick and Roland that touch on the question of a person's control over their own free will. And, and I want to read you a, a little excerpt. This first conversation, I'm not going to comment on right away. I just want to share it with you and let Henry James himself present Roderick's and Roland's differing viewpoints. So Roland begins the dialogue by saying that he hopes some poor choices of Roderick's have taught him something and made him stronger in purpose, in will. Then Roderick flings this little speech back at him. Oh, don't talk about will. The will, I believe, is the mystery of mysteries. Who can answer for his will? Who can say beforehand that it's strong? There are all kinds of indefinable currents moving to and fro between one's will and one's inclinations. People talk as if the two things were essentially distinct, on different sides of one's organism, like the heart and the liver. Mine, I know, are much nearer together. It all depends upon circumstances. I believe there is a certain group of circumstances possible for every man in which his will is destined to snap like a dry twig. And Roland simply responds, Don't talk about the will being destined. The will is destiny itself. And then later, I want to read you one more quote, just one sentence from a later conversation. Roderick is talking about his art, his inspiration, and he's arguing that artistic talent and creation is not under human control. Your art is more or less at the, the whims of fate. You know, the, the muse comes and goes, and it's not your fault if you stop being able to produce anything. And again, quite simply, Roland answers his friend with this statement. Don't heed your mood. If you have work to do, don't wait to feel like it. Set to work, and you will feel like it. Now, I like that. Uh, Roland's precept there resonates with me. I don't claim to have any artistic genius, but 
I, I am a fiction writer, and so I can relate to working as an artist of sorts. And I can definitely relate to the muse not always being present. But from a Christian perspective, which is how I view everything, I believe I'm a part of something much bigger than how I feel on any given day. So I view my, my art, my writing as a calling and therefore a duty that I am committed to. And of course, this principle of, of calling or duty extends far, far beyond the arts per se. Any work that needs to be done needs to be done regardless of how, you know, inspired we feel. And as Roland says, set to work and you will feel like it. In other words, our will can lead our feelings or our inclinations, which is the word Roderick used. And this, I think, is the fundamental difference between these two characters in James's novel. Roderick believes that his feelings, as well as circumstances, are stronger than his will. And indeed, that's the way he lives his life, subject to his inclinations. Roland, on the other hand, believes that will, the will to do what is right, what is one's duty, is stronger than one's feelings. And that's how he lives his life. And that's what I find particularly admirable about Roland's character. Now, of course, the question of duty and how we choose to live our lives is bigger than just how strong our will or our feelings are. There are many other facets to the question. There's much more that's involved that can shape our inclinations or our values. But when it comes down to the question of will versus feelings, I think will is stronger. Now, this is just a taste of the themes at work in the novel Roderick Hudson. Henry James is exploring a lot more than just the question of willpower, but many of the other threads he follows originate in this question, uh, which is why I wanted to highlight it in particular in my review. So to wrap things up, I do recommend this book if you think it sounds like something you would be interested in. I still think The Portrait of a Lady is better. Uh, of course, Roderick Hudson was one of James's very early novels, so he didn't have the writing experience or life experience he had gained by the time he wrote Portrait of a Lady. But if you set comparisons aside, I would definitely say Roderick Hudson is worth reading. It's fairly serious, and it's not uh, mind-blowingly profound or intriguing, but I still found it interesting, and I certainly appreciated much that rang true about its themes. Well, thanks for listening today to my review of Roderick Hudson. Quick announcement re-next week. Sadly, there will be no episode released on August 12th, a week from today. I am going to be on vacation with my family, and so I'll be kind of off the grid for a short time, so I'm taking next week off from the podcast. When I come back two weeks from today on August 19th, I'll be returning with a review of a work by the extraordinary G.K. Chesterton, a work which you've most likely never heard of. At least I certainly had not until a copy of this book was given to me as a gift. It's an intriguing short story collection called The Poet and the Lunatics, which I'm very much looking forward to sharing with you. 
In the meantime, while you are, you know, anxiously waiting with bated breath during my week's absence, I, uh, I might have something you'd enjoy. I helped a friend film a comedy sketch a few weeks back, and I finally got around to posting it on YouTube last week. So if you're all caught up on your Studio C and your JK Studios videos and are looking for something new on YouTube to make you chuckle, then you might get a kick out of the sketch I just posted on the Kitty Wham Productions YouTube channel. Just throwing that out there. Uh, if you just search Kitty Wayne Productions on YouTube, you'll find it right away. It's my newest video titled, Finish the Sketch, Taco Bell Mom. <laughs> it was a ton of fun to script and to film, and so I hope you get a good laugh out of it. I'll see you not next week, but in two weeks for episode 18. And thank you so much for listening to Unknown Friends. <laughs>